welcome to season three of Sundays with Wendy. This season, we take you back to the beginning, sharing the inspiring story of Benjamin Goldberg. Follow along through our mother's lens, the journey that presented an intriguing perspective on life and death. The story is also the heart of our work at the Benjamin Goldberg Foundation. Thank you for listening. To learn more, visit BenjaminGoldbergFoundation.org. Episode nine, he's out in the universe lighting it up. Warning, this episode shares some deeply tender moments. We left off with Ben meeting legendary beetle Ringo Starr. That morning, I waited for Bobby to say he didn't want to go to school, but I caught him doing a double take in the mirror. He was dressed in a pic of a slew of music t-shirts underneath a unbuttoned collared shirt and skinny jeans just short of his bright red sneakers. Mom, I have a unique style, he said, and I agreed. I dropped him off at school, trapped him mistrust. That night on the way home, I glanced in the rearview mirror. The gold Beats headphones fell from around his head. Mom, you have a really bright future ahead of you. I could barely breathe, hanging my head on the steering wheel. Why was he telling me this right now? What bright future was he talking about? Later, I heard him call me from the bath. Walking in, I saw his body covered in bruises. The platelets were not recovering, levels not going over one. I sat on the floor by the tub. Mom, I need to talk to you, he said. I could never decipher if he wanted something on Amazon or if it was his higher self talking. It was the part of yourself that stays on the other side. I heard once 20% of the soul stays and 80% comes down in an incarnation. We lose the connection the longer we stay, but his was still strong. Tell me about platelets, he asked. I had to think quick. Your great-grandmother had high platelets most of her life and took medicine every day to help her. That was all I had. The next morning, heading to the hospital, I didn't want him to think I was panicked. I asked him the pretext from three years earlier. Let's go to Starbucks. His dad offered to stay with him in clinic. It was going to be a long day. The plan was to receive a different form of treatment for low platelets, and it was orderly. I went to work, but I could not concentrate. His dad called to say when they told him he was going to be admitted, he became agitated with a severe headache. Bobby grabbed for the phone. Mom, where are you? Get up here. But first, I need you to go to the store. On the third aisle, get three packs of the throwback sweet tarts. Yes, sir, I said, and suddenly felt better. With the old school candy and a bag from home, I headed to the hospital. Walking in, something was off. His dad was lying in bed, holding his head. Any other night, Bobby was barking out his slew of demands. I threw down my things and climbed in, gently running my arm around his head. His eyes looked up at me. Oh, Mom, thank God you're here. And his head fell back on the pillow. He was becoming restless, asking, Mom, keep holding my head. The resident was in the room explaining the plan. Do you have any questions? In unison, we said, yes, when is it going to get started? Within the hour, she said. His head now resting on my shoulder, I turned to face his dad when something happened. I had a flashback to the time he crashed in New York. I screamed out, help. His dad rushed over to his feet. I had his head. I yelled, what is going on? The nurse was checking his eyes and calling his name. He was unresponsive. I was even louder. Do something. All I could see was the resident doctor's ponytail. It was shaking. Paige, the doctor, she said. I didn't know if it was one minute or ten. A voice spoke. Male, age eight, with stage four neuroblastoma. Read the chart later. We need help now, I yelled. 
They were going to do a brain scan. My back was flattened against the wall outside radiation. I turned my head to the left, and it was the doctor who diagnosed him. I popped to the balls of my feet. He motioned us to follow and explained he needed to see all the pictures. It could have been a blood vessel that burst or a tumor that imploded into itself. He had a brain MRI in July. Could a tumor have grown that fast, I spoke. The slope of his head in the direction of the doors ahead was my answer. There was a screen of images before me, and on the outskirts of the conversation, I could not take my eyes off Ben in the room. After consulting with the team, they wanted to put in a breathing tube. The doctor waved me on to see him. I teared up, strenuously breathing. His bare skin shined under the lights. The notch of every freckle and scar reflected. The bruises were loosened. I wanted to cover him up. The nurse must have read my mind. I turned around, and she had a warming blanket in her hand. We placed it around his body. I fell to my knees. His head lay on the pillow, and I watched his chest rise and fall with the same rawness as when he was a baby. Later in the chair, I grabbed my coat to help keep me warm. Tossing and turning, I closed my eyes, but my mind was racing. I saw a black space glinting with light, like looking through a kaleidoscope with one eye. Purple and gold shapes were expanding and retracting out of the darkness. It was like sacred geometry, and I pleaded, God, I want more time. I had prayed many times for his complete and total healing. Were my prayers answered? My curiosity ruptured as I noticed they were giving him the transfusion. I asked the nurse, what are his platelets now? They went up to 200, she said. A vision entered of a picture taken in New York. Ben drew on the guest board after radiation. In his writing, 200 is better than one. Underneath was his goodbye quote, this is it. It was the name of Michael Jackson's tour he was preparing for before he passed. Ben's reaction was fueled by the momentary awareness of what was yet to come. It was his soul that spoke so often. Now he didn't need anything anymore. The doctors would go through the motions over the next 12 hours, but we knew our fate. The hours passed. The room was muted. The sporadic din of the machines over time I had learned to tune out. I placed his headphones near his head and the iPad against the rail of the bed with one of those playlists and began softly humming. When I saw our nurse, there was comfort in her presence. She sat by the bed. You need to tell him it's okay to go. Did I? His body appeared as I had known, but everything else was different. He was already gone. I would say it aloud, even if it would only help me. I leaned closer and uttered the words no parent ever dreams. Sweetie, it's okay to go, I cried. Dad and I will be okay. We love you so much. I climbed into bed on his right, his body next to mine. The doctor was behind me with the nurse at the foot of the bed. His dad knelt to the left with the social worker holding his shoulder. How many of us get to shepherd our children to the other side? I was viscerally taken to the day he was born. Eight years ago, all of us piled in the delivery room. My son was surrounded by the love from the moment he entered the world to the moment he left. The words just flowed. He's out in the universe lighting it up. I spoke as if it was channeled and by only divine force marshaled to a stance. Alone, I could not have handled leaving him. Then a sting ran through me, the recognition of what Ben had said in this hospital the week of the diagnosis. As I walked the same hospital floors, I heard the words again. 
Mom, I'm going to die here. Unhitched from his personality, he knew how it was going to play out. I had spent the last three years trying to unkink those words. It was the gift he gave me. If I knew, then it wouldn't hurt so much. The next day was fuzzy, sitting at the table with the rabbi, he said. Information has been sent out to the congregation. How many are you expecting? The number trailed in my head was high. Family, friends, the Jewish community, business relationships, and hospital staff? 500? I was not allowed to leave anyone's sight. Walking out of the living room to my closet, my sister followed behind. Are you okay? It was sloth-like, me saying, I'm going to take a shower, and then not actually move. The first time I got in the car, the police CD played through the speakers. The track, Every Breath You Take. In the parking lot of the hair salon, I did not want to go in looking a mess. I inched down, aligned with the air vents, and blasted the frigid air in an attempt to unglue my swollen eyes. Sitting in the ivory leather chair, the salon was overflowing. There were ad hoc stations set up around, one for specialty juices, one for selling products, and an esthetician advertising services. Was there a cloak I could hide under? A woman was entering in my peripheral vision, my shoulders slumped, sitting in the chair, gripping my purse. She described the colors. You know, if you have a special date tomorrow, you could wear lipstick. My head turned to her. Yes, I do have a special date tomorrow. It's my son's memorial service. It was the beginning of awkward things people would say. That night, the rabbi sat with us at the dining room table. We shared stories. He distinctly remembered the first time we met. We chuckled. It was Ben and I jamming at the school. He asked, what do you need? It was my heart that responded. Honestly, I don't need anything now. It would be in the weeks, months, years, and decades ahead. As he was getting his coat to leave, my dad walked over, pulling his attention. He gleamed back at me. Wendy, I know he's okay. Upon returning home from the hospital that night, he stopped to get the mail. As he reached in the box, there was a letter from Ben. It was postmarked on Tuesday, his last day of school. Stalling in front of the mirror, it was time to go to the service. I was in a black and gray checkered dress that hit my med thigh. I held a long black velvet coat and headed toward the door. The paved road veered to the right past the magnolia tree. The funeral home attendant stood alongside three simply set rows of chairs. It was an alabaster box with a blue star of David next to a mound of dirt. The limo came to a stop as we exited. The chairs were placed over a rug of grass. The rabbi and cantor made their way to the podium. The air was chilly, but the sun was shining brightly and kept us warm in its rays. The rabbi started to speak. He could barely get the words out before his head fell. He cried. The cantor's voice filled the air as she began to sing. She too was crying. They both had children that were classmates of Ben. A Jewish funeral is described as escorting the departed from this limited world to the one without limits. My eyes were fixed on the box. The rabbi continued, There is one last act of kindness. It is to see the body, the vessel of the soul, honorably and properly buried. The first two shovels were to be tossed with the back of the blade, recognizing the emotional challenge to let go. His dad grabbed the first, then I followed. He asked everyone to do the same. One by one, a shovel of earth was placed on the casket. My dad finished the symbolic shovels, eight, followed by six, and then six more. He was completing his exact time on earth, eight years, 
six months and six days. The second part of the service was to be held at the temple. I kept my eyes glued on the smudge of color on the rug. I sat closest to the aisle, hearing the drone of grief in the pews behind me. The rabbi and cantor were tracking each side of the stage. The cantor was to my left and the rabbi to my right. An easel was displayed in the middle, my favorite picture of Ben in a collared shirt and a sweater with black loafers holding a book in his right hand. I felt every pixel. His words struck a chord. He did not just love music, he was music. Music marks our time here on earth and connects us to our immortality. The cantor's voice then projected out onto the temple. They stopped, collecting themselves at times, but their eyes met mine in every verse spoken, directed at me in my heart. The rabbi then abruptly closed his book and said, that's all I have in my book. As Wendy would have it, she shared with me last night she could not get the song, Only the Good Die Young, out of her head. And as I was heading over to see Ben this morning, the song dialed up on the radio. I don't know if these are signs or our hearts connecting. He asked us to stand up and turn around. As I stood and faced the congregation, all I could see was what looked like beans, celestial in form and gold in color, hundreds and hundreds of them in rows. They held semi-bowed heads. Music started playing, imagined by the beetles sweeping through the air. I began to hear the hum of their hearts, all of them. I stood up and bolted down the aisle. My hazy vision saw the rows filled with people from every walk of my life. I lost my bearings and took a right. There was a room set with round tables. I spotted one closest to the wall. A messy endearment approached. I only spoke to those with whom I had direct contact. My eyes caught a distinct line that had formed. It was in their faces. I only wanted to hear what they wanted to share with me about Ben. My Gentile cousin nervously rushed behind me and started what felt like an interrogation. Are you not going to take a shower for seven days? I giggled. It was the trending topic those past few days. What is Shiva? I softly explained we were going to do the shortened version two nights. Everyone would come over and the rabbi would do a service and we would cover the mirrors. She looked confused. It is a tradition to cover them to reflect inward with humility. It is beautiful. On the ride home, I sat thinking about the service and the words of a dear friend. There was more to being Jewish than religion. It is a beautiful way of living. People become more emboldened around a birth than they do death. Why is death not met with the same reverence? In my experience, you didn't have to be Jewish to get it. At home, the prickle was intense as earlier in temple. I saw it in black this time. Everyone was even more in motion. My house swelled with the expression of love. Were our souls dancing? Are we closer to our true selves in these times? The rabbi's voice grew over the crowd. Are there any stories about Ben that anyone wants to share? Many anecdotes followed, and we were led into prayer. My eyes watched the rabbi reading, although I was distracted. It was the freestanding Michael Jackson cutout behind him that Ben had placed in the living room only a few days before. My son, even from the other side, could make me laugh. People were making their way over. One of my friends whispered in my ear, You don't have to be strong anymore. I shuddered at the thought. I had been strong, but it was not an act, nor anything I could stop. It was like being in training for three and a half years, and the rest of my life was going to be the marathon. There was laughter coming from my room. My two sisters and friends were at the foot of my bed. There was a platter of sushi and bottles of wine. My grandmother's words became concrete in my mind. 
you might as well laugh as well cry. Stay tuned for episode 10, where Wendy leans on the power of her consciousness in the early days of grief.